Welcome to Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. I'm your host, Chad Rusecka. And in this episode, we're going to do something just a little bit different. Our very own Amware CEO, Harry Drapage, is here to join me in a discussion on a very important topic, which is how can you get the most out of your fulfillment 3PL and turn that into a real advantage for your business? Harry, uh, I guess welcome to our podcast. That's great to be here, Chad. I'm looking forward to the next 30 minutes. So am I. So I think maybe before we we jump into things, I'd like to maybe just clarify what this discussion is really about. It's not a complaint session about what 3PL customers are doing wrong. It's really to kind of pull the, the curtain back, if you will, a little bit and let customers of 3PLs get a real sense of things that just may prevent their growth or their ability to scale as an indirect consequence of, of not knowing what they don't know. So kind of with that in mind, Harry, is, is there something that comes to your immediate mind that you would tell a customer of a 3PL right now that, hey, don't do this or be aware of this particular thing to kind of kick off the conversation? Sure. The first thing that would come to my mind would be KPIs around KPIs, right? They're critically important. And when you sit down with your customer and you discuss what's realistic and relevant versus unrealistic KPIs and KPIs that really don't move the needle on the business, uh, you just get into what's called KPI gymnastics. You're measuring something for the sake of measuring it. And it doesn't really move the needle on the business. It's not really relevant. It's not really a significant measure of what your customer's customer ultimately experiences. But because you've got a number out there and a measurement out there, somebody in the organization is going to feel obligated to move that thing in a direction that's positive. So that's really the issue for me. And when I say unrealistic KPIs, what I mean by that is you've had this in-house yourself and you've had a level of performance that is here. 95% on time. And you sit down with your third-party provider and you say, okay, it's got to be 100% now. Is that realistic? Uh, you know, in an environment where robots do everything, manufacturing comes to mind, nobody has achieved zero defect even through a manufacturing process. There's still variability in that whole process. So you never really hit 100%. You try for it, you strive for it. So what's a realistic KPI that you want to measure you know, your third party with where it really impacts the business in a positive way. And it's significantly better than yours. We come to the table that we're experts. We can certainly do it better than you, but we're not perfect either. We have humans in the process and humans make mistakes and as many checks and balances as you put in this process, you're still apt to have something kick out occasionally. That's been my experience over the years is bringing a customer back grounded into what's realistic. And again, it's a KPI as a starting point, right? At some point, you always look for improvement in it. and you Over time, you get it. But setting them, one, that is realistic, and two, you know, the right topic. What do you really want to measure that's impactful? On-time service, for sure, right? You want to get it out the door on time. Your customer wants to get it on time. Accuracy in the inventory, that's great. Then you can get into some irrelevant that don't really move order to cash, for instance, which we can't impact, but customers do want to measure. 
they want to make us a function of that. Or, you know, on-time delivery for your carrier, for instance. Yeah, we can measure it, but we can't really control our carriers, right? That's another entity that we deal with. I mean, that's some of the experience I've seen. I, what have you run across, uh, Chad? Well, it's, it's funny. I was having a conversation with somebody this morning, and I was telling them about a, a book that I just finished reading over the weekend called Measure What Matters. And the premise of that book was using IKOs, like individual key objectives, and understanding the difference between individual key objectives, KPIs, and SLAs. And I think most of the time, customers may just not understand the difference of those three very unique or, or differentiated nomenclatures. A KPI is exactly that. It's it's a key performance indicator. But oftentimes what ends up there are leading indicators versus you know lagging indicators. And they may be looking for the end result. And that may be a key objective like an IKO. But KPIs are really intended probably more so for the leading indicator. And of course, the SLA being the service level agreement as it relates to what the contract holds you accountable to. But I think they end up getting, to your point, kind of mushed together. And as a result, there's too many. And then what happens is that that the priorities aren't clear because everything becomes important. So I think from my experience, it's educating through the probably that commercial contract of of what actually they're trying to solve for and making it more of a individual key objective and talking about what to measure outside the contract leading indicators so that's probably the mistake that i see oftentimes get made of trying to make everything an sla and that's not the you know the intent i don't believe of customers but they may just not know the difference of, of the different measurements I like that. I think that idea of leading and lagging indicators is phenomenal. I think historically, we really do a great job of measuring the lagging indicators, right? Mm-hmm. On time shipment, uh, you know, doctor stock, all the things that have happened in the past. But sitting down and determining what could be a leading indicator, that's really important. And I would tell you right off the top, now that you mentioned, I would say a leading indicator is something like inventory accuracy, right? When you're doing cycle counts and those things are not right, that's going to pour 10 cut shipments if it's not good, product not found, unhappy customers. And you can you can almost predict that based on your inventory act. So I like that. So coming up with the right blend of leading and lagging indicators will really create a meaningful focus and measurement, if you will, for service overall. I really like that. Yeah. And just to you know, stand that just for one more second, I think really great organizations oftentimes don't talk about the the lagging indicator or the you know the the system will produce what the system will produce so if you focus on the leading indicators you really and you manage to that level you oftentimes aren't talking about x y and z on on those results right because your focus is upstream if all you do is focus on the output not the input and just the output result it's very difficult to move the needle or to change that behavior result because you've got to move that conversation to where it belongs, which is those leading indicators. But I think that's just part of having the proper level of conversation. So that's um, brilliant. Yeah. Which leads me to probably to, to one that I would offer up kind of just relating to, to contract terms. I, I think I view the contract personally as really the blueprint 
you know, of the relationship between a customer of a 3PL and a 3PL. And what I mean by that is it's it's like a the constitution or handbook. I don't think the contract itself needs to be limited always to terms and conditions and the boilerplates that we all use. But I think contracts should have flexibility and to be customized. But one thing I would say on this to a customer of a 3PL is really understand the addendum process because your business, if you know, will evolve, hopefully, and, and hopefully it's growing and scaling. And that should, you know, you have a useful tool with addendums as the scope changes or, you know, the statement of work or things change. Know how to use those addendums and addendums aren't negative. I think sometimes they're viewed as some kind of price increase. That's not the case. I really view addendums. When I put addendums in place, I always think, man, this is this is wonderful. The business is growing and changing from its original scope. So it's not negative. For those customers listening right now, addendums probably are are very positive because the business is no longer what it once was. And those should, to me, for the most part, be really embraced. The other thing is understanding the the contract. So after, you know, business is priced and you go through an RFP and it gets awarded, you implement it. There should almost be like a reading, like a Hollywood movie script or something, like a sit down and the, the people that operate the business really need to understand the framework of the contract itself because different people that may just be ignorant of it use it incorrectly. Uh, so I think the more people on both sides that can really understand the components of the contract benefit immensely. And oftentimes it's unfortunately only the few people that were part of it putting it together, but it needs to be more widespread and, and I think taught to both 3PLs and, and customers alike. On the day-to-day level, you know, the day-to-day people who operate it should have more exposure to it. So that that contract only gets pulled out when there's an issue, right? Yes. You go to the contract to resolve that issue, and lo and behold, you look at it and you say, wow, it's not really clear. I mean, it wasn't really specific about that. And yeah, that's what can tend to then get you into trouble when areas like that come up, because there are elements in our business relationship, there are things that are going to happen. And I'll give an example shortly that no one wants to talk about because that's the kind of dark side of performance where something doesn't quite meet an expectation. And then you have bad feelings. And so not understanding the terms and not having clear terms could be an issue. And the purpose of a contract is to protect both parties, right? It's clear expectations. Here's what I have to do. Here's what you have to do as a customer. And, you know, we need to abide by that if we're both going to be successful. And a great example might be a shrinkage allowance, for instance, right? We may put down that we want 1% of throughput for, for just giving you an example. And throughput, you sell $50 million worth of product through my warehouse. Well, 1% of $50 million is $500,000. It's not a small amount of money. If you agree to 1% of a shrink of throughput and you have a physical inventory and then a problem arises, hey, we we can't account for $200,000 worth of inventory, for instance, you know, all of a sudden that, gee, that sounds like what would you have to do to lose that kind of product and uh, creates a lot of hard feelings. So having clear terms, understanding how those terms are measured and understanding really what the impact of it is, because everybody... Everybody signs up for a number and a process and a contract and not fully understanding that at some point it may come up. In the case of a KPI, you know, if you do a million shipments a month and you sign up for 99% accuracy, 
on a million shipments a month, guess what? That means that 10,000 shipments in that month could potentially have a problem. And the provider is still within the, the yeah. he's still within the bandwidth of what he promised to do. Did you think about that when you signed the contract, when you made a contract term, what the impact of that is? So I, I agree 100%. That thing gets pulled out whenever there's a problem, and that's when emotions are high. And then to have a contract that doesn't address it, well, you know, as gentlemen, uh, you, you know, as partners, you sit down and try to work it out, but it's best if everybody understands it clearly going in. Yeah, and I think the other piece is, regardless of what company, I, I think they start to all look the same. And somebody at some point, you know, outside the legal terms and conditions, people go to Google and they search KPIs and warehouses and 3PLs and somebody's putting an RP together that may be just unfamiliar, right? That may have been a small, now maybe a medium-sized company, but they still may not have commercial contract management experience. So not having everything so copied, pasted, and cookie-cuttered, look at other companies and, and try to get your hand on other examples of, of really good long-term relationships as best practices, I think is another aspect to the contract. What else comes to mind, Harry, well, that you one, think customers big, get, need to be aware of? One, a big one for me next to the KPIs would be treating the relationship as a non-strategic relationship. And I think what I mean by that is I'm not your partner. I'm not your back room. I'm your vendor. I'm your provider. You refer to me as your vendor and provider. Uh, we only talk when there's a special need to talk. So maybe a project comes up and you need me to do something, or maybe something didn't go quite well and we have that conversation, as opposed to a street, a strategic relationship in which we're speaking regularly. Clearly, the operating people from both parties are speaking on a daily basis. And then leadership gets involved on a more frequent basis. Maybe it's a monthly call that sets the objectives. We understand where your business is going, we can plan for that. In the non-strategic relationship, the expectation is no matter what happens, I'm the expert, you figure it out, you didn't prepare for it, you should have known. And a, a great example I like to talk about, and an analogy, is I'm like your caterer. And, and I'm asking you, how many people are you going to have at your affair so I can cater it properly? And you say, yeah, it's going to be somewhere between 100 and 500. And, you know, if I'm your brother-in-law, I could say, come on, Chad, be realistic here. What do you mean between one and how many people are kind of how many, how many meals do you want me to, you know, prepare? And then, you know, and I'm your brother-in-law, you're going to have to talk to me in a way that says, well, I don't, I'm not quite sure. Let's do 250 or let's do 350. And we're kind of settled away. The non-strategic relationship is, well, I don't really know, you know, you're the expert in this field. Don't you know how to prepare for my business? And the answer is, I don't. Uh, you know your business better. You know you certainly your customers better. And strategically, the more we talk and the more I can prepare for, the more you bring me in the tent of your company with where it's going and what you want to do, I can prepare on my end, whether it's material handling equipment, whether it's space, whether it's racking, I can get prepared to help your business grow. But if I'm kept in the dark like a mushroom, it's going to be pretty tough for me to figure that out. Yeah, strategic relationships collaborate and non-strategic ones are treated, like you said, like vendors versus partners and a vendor and a partner are two very, very different things. I think kind of along that line, I would add, because you're not strategic, not sharing long-term business plans, I think also is kind of a bolt-on to that comment that you just mentioned. What I mean is, is like, you should really participate in each other's 
business totally to the extent that you can. There should be synergies as partners, right? As a strategic partner, maybe you can get a a good relationship uh, referral uh, on some other aspect of the business. But I think oftentimes the non-strategic relationships are thinking only in the context of how long your contract is good for. So if you happen to be living in a three-year contract, the relationship shouldn't be thinking only within the three years. It should, you know, nothing prevents, I should say, you from talking five, six, 10 years even out just because you happen to be in a three-year, you know, agreement. So I think that's oftentimes a miss between the relationships as well, whether it's sharing inside company information, even it could be basic communication, big awards, big wins or, you know, achievements, but that stuff should be shared between both organizations, I feel, so that you have kind of just an insight of what to grow for and prepare for and and, uh, to be ahead of it. I would say don't limit the long-term thinking to only the years of uh, the life of the contract. And listen, that's a great point. That's a great issue that really needs to be hashed out. You know, your business is going to grow 2x this year, but I've also got to reduce my parcel spend by 10% because it's not sustainable. I'm not, I'm not gaining any leverage. You know, knowing that in advance allows us to kind of help you get there, which says might not be my reducing the rates 10% that gets you your savings, but it might be more that, hey, if you're going to grow your business 2X, you need to be in different locations than you are today. You need to be closer to your end users. You can save on parcel doing that. I don't have to cut my rates, but I get you closer so you get better parcel rates. You'll get a lower transportation spend. You'll get better service. Knowing that as your objective I can then start to do a network analysis. Where are the best places to be? Where's that growth going to be? I mean, you can see a lot flows from knowing what the long-term business plans are. Some people are afraid to, to share them. I don't know whether they think they're confidential. They don't want their competitors to know. But at the end of the day, the back end here that we do, it can significantly impact your ability to achieve your long-term plans if we're not a party to that. Uh, Yeah, I would agree with you. That's something that really, really has to come out and always come out because long-term plans change, right? They they get modified, they get, uh, you know, adjusted. And they're different. We have, as you know, we've got an array of different types of customers and we have some customers who really care about speed to market and they want to grow into three or four facilities within our network, maybe outside of cost on the short term, just to try to, you know, penetrate the market within their uh, particular vertical. We have other customers who are trying to solve for, hey, I just, I want my cost to be a, as a percent of a revenue or other customers care about whatever, but it begins with what are you trying to solve for and then help them. If we know what you're trying to solve for, we can give you options that are intelligent insight, but we also may possibly influence uh, what, what it is you think you're solving for and present you something in an entirely different that you haven't even thought of, but that comes through the collaboration beyond those three years. What else, Harry? Uh, pick one more that you have that's a strong opinion. Outsourcing all your liabilities, all your risk, right? Obviously, we're a third-party provider. We're a partner. But we don't take on all the risk of your business because we just can't do that. In a previous life, when I was handling B2B, a lot of B2B, predominantly B2B business, chemical companies come to mind. You could service 10, 15 chemical companies and you can handle 
40, 50, 60 different chemicals. We knew how to handle the chemicals within the four walls. We knew what was required for shipping. But as things change, you know, it's incumbent upon our customer to be a partner to us and help us with that and just tell us, hey, here are the changes that impact my business as your customer. Here are the things you need to be aware of and change your business to adapt to that. Now, I have 200 customers today. It's impossible for me to be an expert in all those 200 customers' business. They know their business. They bring that business acumen to the table, whether it's health and wellness, you know, whether it's nutraceuticals, they know the nuances of their business. They know the regulatory environment of their business because that's what they do. We know the four walls better than anybody. And we know how to ship the product because of our relationship with parcel carriers. So we can do the transportation piece. But when something comes down, a packaging requirement, for instance, change, that may come from our customer before it comes to us. We'll always get it. It's always a question of timing. And the problem is we're probably a little bit lagging with our customer because they're steeped into the industry. We're not as steeped as they are, so we will get there. But that time frame between when it becomes a mandate and we get it, that's the period of risk. That's the period where something can go amiss. And that's where the outsourced lie. Well, you're the expert. My expectation was you knew everything about my business and my industry, and you would have sheltered me from that. That's really unrealistic. We're not geared to do that. Again, we, we're we great at what we do. We can help you with your business grow, but the nuances, the regulatory environment, those things, you know them better than anybody because you probably grew up with that in your business. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at AmwareFulfillment.com. Yeah, totally agree with that. And I think the the other piece for me would be, in terms of a new topic, we began with communication, and I would maybe just end it with saying the communication cadence. So if we recognize com- you know, communication and collaboration, all of those things were important that we discussed, but it, it's getting on a cadence. I think the really, really elite organizations keep their cadence, and they don't just get on the calls when it's bad, to your earlier point, Harry, about like, pulling out the contract when it's bad. But I think it's during the good times is having those calls. And when there's no service issues to be talking through or significant challenges or obstacles, you don't lose your right to still have some pretty meaningful uh, conversation about something that isn't just service driven. Talk about, use that time to talk about other important things coming around the corner. So use quarterly business reviews to look at, you know, in the rearview mirror, performance related, maybe some forecast stuff. Use us an SBR, you know, strategic business review to talk more forward thinking, have the right audience on those calls, people that are empowered to make decisions, have some kind of framework to the call itself or, or, you know, an agenda, you know, and where we, we use the, the house rules that seems to me always fit somewhere, even on, a, on agendas, you know, talking straight and making sure that the customer and the 3PL are shooting straight. We don't get off the call and it feels good only for 40 hours to elapse and then emails or 
you know, flowing across and it makes you feel uh, different. So really shoot straight and follow some kind of format or framework with minutes and, and relentless follow-up, you know, whatever commitments are made. But I, I think the cadence of communication is really, really, really important. And it should be the exception of when somebody doesn't join it. I mean, the rare exception, but they ideally shouldn't be canceled. And I can't think of much more in the way of joining those types of, of calls that are set with plenty of time in advance. So that would be something I would leave to the audience when you engage with the three PLs is keep those commitments and and make sure that you're prepared. And it's not just a, you know, a Monday morning call that you might not jump on this particular Monday, but keep it, honor it and put effort, put your best effort into those calls. And it's going to really do a lot of good in the long run. If you do kind of a study of the greatest organizations in the world, in America, if you look at the greatest companies, there's a hallmark there, there's a commonality, and that's great communication. Everybody in those organizations pretty much are on the same page. They know what's going on. They know the expectation. They know what the organization's trying to accomplish. They know where the organization stands. They know everything they need to know so that they can do their jobs effectively and make the the organization successful. And it's no different in 3PL relationships. You're right, a regular cadence is important, touching base is important, and it's important at all levels of the organization, not just the day-to-day people, but you know, here at Amware, the leadership team is accessible and available to all of our customers. And we always want to touch base with every level of the organization. We want to make sure we have multiple touch points, that it's not just with the day-to-day people, but it's with the the operating people, it's with the strategic people, and it's with the ownership people and the people who make the decisions for the wellness of the company. So yes, it's incredibly important to have a good communications cadence, and it's incredibly important to have good communication touch points with multiple levels in an organization. Even if it's just for a couple of minutes during the week, you know, during the month, how are things going? Are we trending in the right direction? Are we not doing something we should be doing? Where's your business going? What do we need to be thinking about? Those are just simple questions that you can ask on a phone call that keeps you in line and keeps everybody aligned and keeps the relationship growing and heading in the right direction. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's probably a great place to to end it, Harry. I, I really sincerely appreciate the time. I think our customers, our customers and customers of of other 3PLs who was just listening to the back and forth certainly leave a bit more knowledgeable of how their decisions or indecisions have some unintended consequences and are better for it. So of course, uh, Harry, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I just didn't plug, where could listeners go to learn more about yourself or get in touch with you or about Amware? Well, certainly at our website, amwarefulfillment.com has all the links necessary. They can get in touch with us through there. We'll return their phone calls with any questions that they have. And it's a great website for a lot of informational things that they may be looking for for their business. It's all there on our website. I appreciate it, Harry. And thanks to everyone. This concludes our episode of uh, Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. Stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, everyone.